Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. But tonight we're going to conclude um, the series that we have been doing. Um, we started it in the month of July when we came back to Growth University Online. And for the past three weeks, we have been considering uh, the subject of loving one another, a topic that is um, very frequent in the scripture, and we have intentionally looked solely to the word of the Lord in this series. And so the first week, we looked to the night of Jesus' betrayal, as recorded in John chapter 13, and we looked at the context of Jesus's last teaching moments with his disciples before he was betrayed and crucified. He spoke to them about a new commandment. Now, we understand that this was not a new idea in and of itself, but Jesus was letting them know there is a fresh approach now to this idea of loving one another. There is a higher standard that I am going to set myself to love one another as he has loved us. And we realize, though, that at that time, Jesus, uh, the disciples had no idea how much Jesus really did love them because he had not died for them yet. But we realize through these verses that the night before a very crucial time in Jesus' life, the night before the unveiling of all of the reasons why Jesus came to this earth to begin with, Jesus' concern was not that they love him more. He was not especially concerned with their devotion and faithfulness to him, even though he knew everything that they were about to experience individually and collectively as a group. Jesus was concerned with how much they would love each other. And through this, we see the raising of the bar, and I would say the highest standard Jesus could have possibly given those disciples and us to this day, in John 15, verse 13, he would say, Greater love has no one than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friend. We are not just to love our neighbors as ourselves, but we are to love them as he has loved us, which means that love is unconditional and that that love can be undeserved. And in the second week, we again turned to these pages to better understand what does love look like according to the word of God. And as I mentioned, the study of all of the one another's in scripture is exhaustive. It's exhausting. I'm exhausted after this study. Praise God. But we focused on five key principles that we felt like best encompassed the spirit of these instructions. Five principles that really kind of hone in on everything the Bible says about how we should treat each other. Those five things quickly were to serve one another, to encourage one another, to forgive one another as he has forgiven us, to consider one another and to receive one another as he has received or accepted us to the glory of God. And it seems obvious to me that of that list, those would prove to be the most difficult. Receiving each other, accepting each other, and forgiving each other, and loving each other, 
And yet those are the ones where Jesus added that clause to say, do it to the same measure that I have done it for you. This is the standard. And because of that, for the first time in our history, we had a panel last week on the discussion, um, on a discussion on the subject of racism. And I know that it wasn't easy. It wasn't comfortable for any of us, both here in this room and you watching at home. But I can tell you without a doubt that we felt the presence of the Lord in this room the entire time that we were talking And while we may not agree with everything that was said, maybe you don't understand the perspectives that were shared. All of us, according to this book, and this was the point, all of us can do a better job of loving one another. And it is Pastor Tom and I's prayer and our sincerest desire to be an apostolic church in power, in demonstration, and in our diversity. And one of the ways that we can be more intentional, be more inclusive to one another, is to better understand each other. According to this book, I don't have to agree with you to love you. I don't even have to understand you in the way that you think, in the way that you process, even what's going on right now. I don't have to understand it for me to choose to love you. I know the Lord doesn't agree with everything I think or say. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he does with you, and good. Praise God. You can teach the next series. Just let me know. I'm happy to have a week off. <laughs> but we choose to love each other, and the Bible gives us all kinds of instructions and ideas on how to do that. But most notably, in Romans chapter 5, verse 7, we understand That our reception, our acceptance of one another is to be done to the glory of God. And that is the motivation that we need sometimes. But in the many verses we have turned to in this series, we have not seen any exemptions, any qualifications to these one another's that, well, if this is the situation, then you don't have to. There's no exception to the rule. I wish there was, but my friends, I've studied this and there's not. The only condition has been that we do these things as Christ has done it for us. And so according to Jesus in John chapter 13, verse 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. We will never be more like Jesus than when we are showing love to each other. And so Tonight, I feel to end this series again in a different way, but the same way in which we began, by looking to Jesus' words and his example in the Gospel of John. I want to turn your attention now to John chapter 17. And in this passage, we find Jesus praying a powerful, very specific prayer for his followers. We will be putting the verses up for you momentarily. But again, the context for this prayer, uh, prayed by God himself, gives us incredible insight into God's heart for the church, what God's desire is for us as his people. This is the same night of the Last Supper that we started with in John 13. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. They share that Last Supper. He gives that new commandment. 
And in this prayer that Jesus prays in front of his disciples, we see his specific concern for his church. Think about this. A church that he knew he was shortly going to leave when he left this earth. A church he would leave to the flawed individuals with which he sat that night. Here in John 17, we feel and we hear the heart of God for his church. And so tonight, as we conclude this series on love, I want to lead us in prayer following Jesus' model in these verses. So you know what to expect. Consider this now a hybrid of United Prayer and Growth University. Okay? I'm going to ask you to remain in your seats for obvious reasons, but I want you to know that we are going to stop in between these teaching points and pray as a group. You good? Okay? I'm okay. All right. So, for the sake of time, we're not going to read the entire chapter. I understand the constraints of our time and our format together, but we have slides uh, with the specific verses that we're focusing on and one or two prayer points just to help direct your focus in the application that we're reaching for tonight. But think about this with me before we get started. Jesus prayed for us. That is so humbling. It's so powerful to realize where he was in his life and ministry. That he would take a moment to pray. And not just pray something privately like he did in Gethsemane. But he prayed it publicly so his disciples could hear his heart. Could hear his burden that he felt for them. And as we will read for everyone else that would come to know him. Jesus prays for six things that we're going to focus on here in a few moments. The first thing is eternal life for everyone. He prays for unity among the disciples. He prays for protection from the enemy. He prays for purity for them that comes from the word of God. He prays for unity among Christians, among the church at large. And finally, he prays for God's glory to be revealed in the earth. Wow, what a prayer. And I encourage you, if you have your Bible and you want to open it and maybe make these points along John 17 for your own reference, I I think especially now it can be helpful when prayer can just seem like an overwhelming task to cover everything that needs to be covered, all the things that came to your mind, you know, throughout the day, that maybe you outline these six things and follow Jesus' supreme example to pray as he prayed. And so the first one is the prayer for eternal life in verse 3. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is a prayer for evangelism. The gospel is the mission of the church. It is why we exist. It is why Jesus died, so that men and women of every tribe and tongue and color can be saved and know him. The gospel is the answer to the questions that we are facing as a nation and the world at large. And so I invite you, I hope you can read that. Um, If you cannot, the two points that we're going to consider here briefly together is to pray for someone you know who needs the Lord in this moment or to pray for the gospel to be shared around the world during this time. The second thing that Jesus prays for is for unity among his disciples. And so tonight we are going to pray specifically for unity at the Calvary Church. 
In verse 11, Jesus prays that they may be one, even as we are one. Now, this statement should be especially significant and important to us as oneness believers. Because Jesus was saying that just as he was God manifested in the flesh, that oneness that we hold so dear, that is the type of unity that he wants for us. That we are many members, but we are one body. That is the will of God for us. And so we are going to pray for unity in the spirit here at the Calvary Church. Unity in our purpose right now. There's so many things distracting us frustrating us, confusing us. And so here Jesus sets us a clear example to say, pray for unity. That is always the will of God. Behold how good and how pleasant. Because we're living how unpleasant it is when there is no unity, right? And here at the Calvary Church, we want to be unified in our spirit. We want to be unified in our faith. We want to be unified in our purpose. Why God saved us and made us a part of his family. Third point is protection from evil. In verse 15, Jesus said, I do not pray that you take them out of the world. Man, I wish he had. Has anybody felt that way in the last four months? Just come, God. It's a real good time. Because nobody wants to be here. (laughs) Deliver us, Lord. But Jesus very specifically says, I'm not praying that you save them from difficult times. I'm not praying the hardship away. As much as we wish that he did. But Jesus was not wanting to isolate them from a world that would persecute them. That was not the point. Jesus did not die so that they could go on with their lives and feel comfortable. Jesus died so that they would be able to share the news with others no matter what the cost was. Jesus was very simply acknowledging that the world would in fact be against them. The odds, so to speak, would not be in their favor. Yet Jesus prayed for their protection from evil. Just like he did in the Lord's Prayer. Protect them from evil that would come in to divide them. Divide them among themselves. Divide them from those who maybe are unbelievers. Divide them from his purpose that he had called them to. And so I want us to pray together now for protection. We want to pray for strength for our families. For wisdom from God to continue to make the right decisions, to make decisions that honor God and his word, no matter how difficult that might seem to be. We are asking the Lord to protect us from the evil that the enemy would try to hurt us with. All right, the fourth thing is purity through the word. In verse 17, a a very well-known portion of scripture, Jesus says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. We just want the truth right now, don't we? Jesus said, you can have it because it's my word. And we do not see, again, Jesus praying for their well-being. Jesus' concern was for their spiritual well-being. That they would have the truth. And that by that truth, they would be cleansed. They would be healed. They would be made whole. This is his clear 
priority in this prayer. Jesus prays that they, excuse me, that they will be sanctified through his word for his purpose. And in a world of every kind of distraction that you can imagine, reading and understanding what the word of God says has never been more important. And let me just tell you as your pastor from my heart, I pray that there is nothing you are more in tune with There is nothing you pick up more frequently. There is nothing that you read more right now than this sacred book. Because if you are struggling, I can almost guarantee you, it's because you are not spending enough time in this work. And I'm speaking from experience. I am not speaking out of judgment. And I've thought of that old song, Brother Danny, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking stand. And in this world where the truth, the news, the facts change every day, it seems. Sometimes within a day, we have this amazing book that is forever settled in heaven. It has been decided. It has been determined before the foundation of the world. God said it, granddad used to say, and that settles it, whether I believe it or not. And so tonight we want to pray for a hunger for the word of God. Because Jesus let us know in this prayer how important it would be for us to survive in the world that we're living in. For us to be able to fulfill his purpose for our lives, we have to be so closely tied to this book and what it says to us. And I also want to pray against spiritual deception. Jesus said that that would be a sign of the last days, that many would come in his name, that there would be false teaching false representation of what this book says and that is why I come to this pulpit with such trepidation because I understand how important the truth is that you understand it correctly that you apply it and reflect upon it correctly our fifth point is unity within the church at large now we prayed for TCC but now we're going to pray for God's global church His church is big. It spans the globe. In verse 20, Jesus says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And this is very similar to the part that Jesus prayed for his disciples specifically, but Jesus is making it clear to them that unity in the church as a whole would be a vital part of how effective they could be in their witness, in their ability to spread the gospel. Through the unity of the church, the world will be able to see the truth in the gospel that we preach. I think about that verse that refers to the disciples as the ones who turned the world upside down. Don't you think their incredible unity had something to do with their powerful influence in that culture? Because that was, not, that was not the accepted standard of the day. There was all kinds of prejudice and struggle 
And it got into the church a little bit. And Jesus kept challenging them through his spirit to work through those things. Why? Because unity is so important for God's will to be released in the earth. Because unity brings Pentecost. It is through a spirit of unity that God's spirit is liberated among us to pour out his spirit into people's lives. And so we are going to pray against distraction for the church. We are going to pray against divisiveness within the church. I'm sure all of you have seen and maybe been disappointed by things you have heard or read from preachers and Christian social influencers, maybe other churches. It has taken you back. It has rocked your world. I beg you, don't give in to it. It is the divisiveness of the enemy. We have got to keep the focus that Jesus shows us we must have in John 17, that we are unified as a church. We may not agree with everything. We may not take the same stands. We may not have the same requirements when we come to church, but we are the church. We are members one of another. And the only way that can happen is through the power of prayer. All right? And so we are going to pray against distraction within the church. The devil's very good at that. If he can't stop us, he'll just distract us. All right? And I feel like that's part of what he's trying to do in all of this because the church has been stirred up. Right? We've been woke up to all kinds of things that are at stake right now, like eternity, like freedom, right? And so the enemy wants to distract us from that initial focus that we had in the beginning to pray more and to fast more and to seek the heart of God. And he wants to put all these other things in the forefront of our minds. The last point I want to bring out of Jesus' prayer is in verse 24 when Jesus says, I desire they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am that they may behold my glory. I feel like this is just a way for us to end with a time of worship and focus on the Lord, where we are not just praying for ourselves and our own sense of survival, but we are turning our eyes to the Lord to say, God, you be glorified. You be glorified in the way that we love each other. You be glorified in the way that we respond to all of these things that we're praying about and so finally we are going to pray for revival that God's spirit would be poured out in the earth he has already promised it he has already promised that he will not come till everyone hears that there is no one exempted from that call because there is not salvation in any other name but in the name of Jesus and so I want us to conclude this time tonight by praying for an unprecedented move of God's spirit in the earth, praying for God's glory to be filled in the earth. Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Well, as we conclude, we see Jesus' priestly prayer mirror his deep, sincerest concern for the church when he leaves. Jesus prays for love and unity, and connection, and purity, and protection. Because connection is the model for his body. We were made to be connected to one another.
And I want to make, this is the one of the last statements that I want to share with you in, these, in this series. I was listening to something by Dr. Henry Clown, who I respect so much. He made this statement that, for me, put a lot of this in eternal perspective. He said, hell is disconnected. That's what hell is. It is the opposite of God's will, of eternal connectedness to him and to his great church. And I say that to you to feel the weightiness of unity in this time. We see clearly through this prayer the consistency of that priority in Jesus' mind when he prayed with his disciples for what would be one of the last times. That they would love each other, that they would be connected to each other no matter what they would face. Because here's the deal, and I think we all realize this in a brand new way. Satan fears a unified church. He's terrified of it. And he has worked very hard since time began, beginning with the very first family, to divide them, to bring hate into people's hearts, and to separate people from each other. And so we do well in this time to follow Jesus' example, not just in loving one another in our actions and in our words, but in the unity with which we come together and we pray these points just as Jesus did. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, Thanks for listening.